Welcome to The Spin Cycle. I'm Maggie Sarachek. And I'm Abby Greenberg. And together we are the Anxiety Sisters. Hello, Anxiety Sisters, and welcome to our show. We have a real treat for you today. Our guest is Michelle Chalfont, a licensed therapist, holistic life coach, speaker, podcaster, and author dedicated to helping people uncover their true and whole selves by stripping away limiting beliefs, false stories, and emotional masks. Toward that end, Michelle developed the adult chair model, which is nothing short of transformational for so many people who have learned to use it. And we will be talking about that model a lot in this show. Welcome, Michelle. Welcome, girls, sisters, excuse me. Welcome, sisters. Okay, you can call us anything. <laughs> Respond to it all, really. We're, yeah, yeah really. We're sisters, because I love you both so much. So, oh, we feel that I'm way. the third sis. You are, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Thanks yes, for having have, me. We have a love fest going on, the three of us here. <laughs> yes, for sisters sure. Sisters from other mothers. Yes. <laughs> Mags has in a podcast hangover because we've been on so many shows the last two weeks, but we're walking around. Anytime someone says hi, we're like, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Delighted to be here. <laughs> Thank you oh, for having us. <laughs> yeah, I went over to my neighbors to pick up some sugar and I'm like, Thank you for having us. Yeah. Um, okay, so we usually start by asking our guests about their own anxiety journeys. And you've told us you're an anxiety mm-hmm. sister too. Yes. Can you share a bit about your own experience as an anxiety sister? Yes, I can. And um, yeah, because you were on my show last week. I shared that a little bit with you. I'll share it again. It's um, my anxiety started, which by the way, (laughs) I didn't know it was anxiety back then. But looking back, of course, I'm like, oh, wow, I was filled with anxiety. I grew up in a family where my father was um, upstate New York, Italian. I was the first like little girl to be born in this family of all boys. So I was very protected. And my father was always worried I was going to get hurt, sick, or stolen. So I was not allowed to do anything. He had so much fear around even my mom taking me. My mom tells me stories about, and my dad was a loving man. He was Mm -hmm. just so worried all the time. My mom said when I was a baby, he'd say, is she warm enough? Is Michelle okay? Is she okay? It was constant. So, you know, as little kids, There's no discernment to what we're picking up. So, of course, I'm getting inundated with fear, 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 and the world is unsafe, unsafe, unsafe. So, of course, I grow up now, we're we're a very musical family. So, you know, they would drop me off at piano lessons and I would go into a panic and I had no idea why. We, they dropped me off at tap, jazz and ballet. I did all the things and I would make my parents, whoever dropped me off, sit with me in the, I was the only kid that had their parents sit in the class Mm. because if they left, I would go into what I now know is a total anxiety attack. Mm. But at the time they would say, well, why do you need to say, I'm like, I just need you to stay. And I'd go into tears. It was awful. I was being fed the beliefs that the world was so unsafe. Of course, I'm scared to death to be out in the world. So didn't really talk to anybody, but my family went off to school, like first and second grade, scared to death. Um, Only talked to my next door neighbor that was in the same class as me. And They separated me from my friend in first grade, which was horrifying. Like they held me back because I didn't talk to anybody. And she went on and they, it was like forcing me to try to get through this thing, whatever it was. Again, it was anxiety, major anxiety. And I couldn't go any place alone. If I had another person with me, I was fine. 
Hmm. So there's such social anxiety, even if I knew the people, like if I walked into like a friend's birthday party in high school, my anxiety would be through the roof, but then I'd get in there and I'd be okay. But if I walked in with a friend, I was like totally fine, which didn't again, make logical sense. So that went on for so much of my life until getting, of course, an undergrad in psychology and then a master's in in counseling as well. It was like, oh, (laughs) I'm learning all about depression and anxiety and all these, all the things when you, when you are getting a master's degree in psychology or counseling, it's like, oh my gosh, you diagnose yourself with like 50 things. So anyway, that's when I learned, holy crap, I had no idea. Not only did I have anxiety, I had depression that I did not even know that I had. I had codependency. I had all the things. That is really when I began my journey of probably actually a little late high school is when I really was starting to get into what we do now, which is meditate and mindfulness. I found that I could relax. I I taught myself these things. Again, nobody taught me this, but we lived on a lake all summer in upstate. And I would go, and my favorite thing was to sit at the end of the dock and just look out at the water. And I would do some deep breathing. And I was able to bring myself down and I felt so at home and at peace. And I was always very spiritual, meaning this alternative kid. I just always loved, again, nature, energy, chakras, you know, anything. My thank God for my mom's friend. She'd come over and give me all these really cool books. I couldn't stop reading. I loved everything about energy, even though no one really talked about it back then. And also I was professional in that I was learning about psychology and counseling, things like that. So I I've blended in my career the best of both worlds. So what I do now, we call it simple psychology meets grounded spirituality. Oh, I like that. And this is one of the reasons that Mags and I are really drawn to you is because you are very aware of what's practical and accessible to the real world. You know, mm-hmm. and that's really important to us because our community, you know, there's the, what the clinicians say. Yeah. And there's what can really work in real life. And sometimes those two do not meet. And we've found that your work really is aware of where people are and what they can do. So you meet the adult chair model meets people where they are. And that's really important to me and Mags. Yeah. Thank you. Let's go in a little to the adult chair model. And so you, you, (laughs) it posits that we're all made up of three distinct parts, the inner child, the adolescent, and the adult. And each part develops separately through our lives and serves an important role in our overall emotional well-being. Um, And then you use these three chairs to represent these perspectives. And so can you tell us a little bit more? I didn't explain this well. So can you explain a little bit more about the adult chair model? Yes. Come join me in the adult chair. Let's go. Okay. Okay. So I think about our lives being de- being laid out in developmental phases, okay? So think about three distinct phases of our lives. So the first phase, of course, is zero to six, which is the child. So we call that the child chair. What happens for every human during the years of zero to six is that we learn all about true emotions, which would be grief, sadness, joy, happiness. We also learn about true needs, which would be things like, and I'm talking emotional needs. Yes, we need food, shelter, water, but we also have true emotional needs. And this is when we learn this. We learn, I need a hug. I need you to tell me that I'm lovable. I need you to tell me that I love you. You know, we need these things, emotionally speaking. This is when all of that is learned, as well as so many other beautiful things like spontaneity, passion, intimacy, vulnerability. Um, This is where creativity is and fun. So this all happens from the age of zero to six. 
Then what happens is this child part of us drops inside. And that's why we call it the inner child, because it's very much alive. It's just within us deep inside. Mm-hmm. And then around the age of six, the ego starts to really develop within us. And the ego says, I'm separate from you. And I am an individual. The ego is based in fear. It is the seat of the survivor. So this is the part of us that says, I will keep you alive no matter what. I will keep you alive. It also helps us to find ways for us to feel accepted so that we belong and so that we stay part of the tribe that we're in, whether that tribe be our family, our friends at school, our job, whatever it might be. Its job is to keep us inclusive in in that group. So the things that we learn during this phase, which goes from about six to seven, all the way till about 24 years old, somewhere around there, is that we learn, again, not to live in the present, but to live in the future or the past, because it's scanning to keep us on, it keeps us on high alert, like what's coming and what happened behind me. So we live a lot with story and assumption. We learn we're very reactionary. This part of us is always on the lookout for what's coming. It makes up stories. So it's a blamer. This is where we, we, we find ourselves blaming or gossiping, or we might fall into victim. This chair also is where all of our parts are formed. So what happens is the ego fragments off. And this is where we become, again, the codependent, the perfectionist, the people pleaser. Because, and the, the ironic thing is, is the ego has really positive intentions. It, it's trying to keep us alive. So we might become, let's say, a perfectionist because while I'm while I was growing up, I got a lot of praise when I cleaned my room, when I got straight A's. But when I didn't do that, my parents ignored me. So somewhere in the ego, it goes, "Oh, do more of that. That really, that really got positive results. That's going to keep you in the tribe." So boom, all of a sudden we are perfectionists. This is where our controlling parts come from. They fragment off from the ego, and so we, now we have all these parts that are running the show. So around the age of 25, if we had parents that modeled for us what healthy adult behavior looks like and feels like, then we quite naturally slide into what I call the adult chair. So the adult chair is the healthiest version of ourselves. It is where we sit in the moment with presence. This is where we live with fact fact and truth versus story and assumption. Mm -hmm. This is where we respond versus react. In my adolescent chair, I'm reacting. Versus here, I can listen to what you're saying and then just respond. When I'm in my adult, I can tune into what's going on with my emotions or my inner child. The ego doesn't do that. The ego doesn't have time. The ego's like, I'm trying to keep you alive. We're going as fast as we can down this life of yours. I don't have time for emotions. I don't know what to do with emotions. The adult knows. The adult says, I'm going to witness those thoughts of the ego. I'm going to connect into the emotions of my child. And then I'm going to make a decision in my adult. The problem is, is that as humans, we grow into these physically adult bodies, but we're very much navigating from this adolescent part of who we are. So I might be 41 years old on the outside, but on the inside and making decisions. You know, I'm sitting in my victim sometimes. I'm living a codependent life. I'm control. All of these things are very, very much coming from the ego. So the adult chair is where we want to go. It really creates like a touchstone or benchmark for what healthy adult living looks like. Hmm. So that's the whole model in a nutshell. And I don't want to give the illusion that the adult chair is like, I'm sitting in like Zen lotus position every day (laughs) meditating. It can be that, but it can also be the seat of anger, but it's authentic anger. You know, anger is great for you, but I do it from a place of healthy anger. 
So I might get upset where rage comes from the adolescent chair. That's explosive anger from the ego. So that's the whole model. And you uh, actually have three chairs in your office. Yeah. And so you can help your clients express where they are in their thought process by depending on what chair they might be sitting in. Is that right? Yeah. So it's a very, very experiential model. If I can share this story, just to give you a great example of how the model works. It's so cool. So she came in and she's sitting in the adult chair. She goes, and she was crying. And I said, what's going on? She goes, oh my God, I'm going to get fired. I know I'm going to get fired and it's going to be any day now. And I said, oh my gosh, you know what happened? Tell me about what's going on. She She said, well, I'm going to get fired because the other people that were hired right around the same time I did, they all just got laid off. So I know that I'm next. And I said, can you slide into the adolescent chair, please? Because that's an assumption. We don't know. And she's all worked up. And I said, get into your adolescent chair because you're telling me a story or an assumption that may or may not be true. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but we don't know it 100% true. So that's the power of living in in the adult. Unless you can say that you know something 100% is fact and truth, you're in the adolescent. And when you ask yourself, wait, is what I'm telling myself 100% fact and truth? And then you sit with it, you pop out of the adolescent, you go right in the adult, it busts all of our stories. I call it a story story busting. We live as humans so much in our our heads and our stories, right? 90,000 thoughts a day, so many stories. The adult chair starts to bust those stories. You can live from this higher place. So my client then says, well, you know, all these other people got, got fired. So, so I got hired last. I know I'm going to be next. I said, okay, get in your child chair, take a breath and tell me how you're feeling. She sunk in, closed her eyes. She goes, you know, I'm really scared. I said, okay. And that's what happens is the child part of us gets activated and our energy starts running very quickly. I said, now jump over to the adult chair and it's interesting, each there's a different energy in each chair when people sit in it. You know, people sit in the adolescent, they're like, I'm moving so fast. I'm talking. And I go, yeah, I know. It's the energy moves very quick. It's the e- chair of the ego. So he says, get in, the, get in the adult chair. And now what do you, well, now tell me what's 100% truth. She said, other people in my company are getting laid off. Okay. I said, okay, truth. I was the last one hired. Truth. I said, what else? She goes, well, I don't know. And I said, I know one. And I said, you tell me every week, your boss loves you and he couldn't do this job without you. Is that true? Well, yeah. (laughs) And I said, so what else can you do from your adult? Because adults speak up for themselves. They set boundaries. They ask for what they need. And I said, well, would it be helpful for you to go have a conversation with your boss? She goes, oh yeah, I guess I could do that. And I said, great, go have a conversation with your boss tomorrow. She goes, yeah, I feel relief. So it's amazing. Her whole, everything changed inside of her because we slowed her down and found truth. So anyway, that's how the process works. So you kind of bounce, you bounce around these chairs based on, and you learn the chairs and then you, then you can do it at home. You just use it on your, on your own all the time. Cool. What about if someone had a really traumatic beginning of their life, you know, mm-hmm. so some of those skills that yeah. came from the, the child chair, so to speak. Yeah, you know, weren't learned as you talked to, uh, as you were talking about, like, so how do you work with that kind of thing? Yeah. So part of what the model, part of what we do in the model is we do a lot of somatic work with people. So a lot of working with the emotions in the body, the trapped emotions, that's number one. Number two is we do a ton of parts work. So I'll go find the part of that 
child or that wherever that trauma was, let's say when they were a child, um, I'll take them back like on a guided meditation. We find that part that's stuck because I find with trauma, you know, we're stuck in the past somewhere or there's a traumatized child that's hiding somewhere. So we do a lot of inner child work too. We go back and we find that part. And then we bring, I re-educate that part into the moment, into what's true for today. We help, we give that child what that, what that child needs or what that child needed back in the moment, right? So I take them back in time. I don't do a lot of work in the past, but when I do parts work, I might travel back in time with a client. We do the work in that moment where the trauma happened. And then we bring the client back into the, into the present moment. So we go back in time and then we bounce into the moment again. When we're doing the somatic work in the body, I have this phrase, I'll say, drop it below the chin because we live with anxiety. Hello, we're living chin up. I call it, we live chin up, drop it below the chin, get in the body, slow things down. What are you feeling? What's going on? Ground yourself. Let's put our feet on the ground, ground. And then what happens? I've had more clients over the years with anxiety and it doesn't happen with every single person, but their anxiety changes just when we tune into the body and tune into that sensation they're having. You don't even need to know what the emotion is. It's like, what sensation are you having in your body? Oh, yeah, it's like a twang in my heart. Okay, let's be with that together. And I go right there with the client. So our energy is matched and we drop into whatever they're going through and then poof, they bounce out of it. Mags, write that down. Keep it below the chin. We're stealing that. In a lot of cases, when we go into therapy, it's like people don't even need to bring their bodies. They could just, you know, totally. like, you know, some people need to talk to somebody. So that is powerful. And to have someone witness what we're going through, yes. powerful, no doubt about it. But when we need to do deeper work, you need to get more than the brain involved or just what's above the chin. You know, you got to right. drop it in. Like us, you are a huge believer in self-compassion and the use of yes. self-compassion to heal. How, how does that fit into your model? Compassion is something, and kindness is what we, that's how we speak to ourselves when, when we're in a healthy adult place. When we're in the adolescent or the egoic place of who we are, we judge ourselves, we're blaming ourselves or other. And I get stuck in that energy. It's an energy. And we just, you can't figure it out when you're stuck in that place. So is, I don't know if that answers your question, but yes, it's very much a part of the adult chair is self-compassion and self-kindness. Something that I struggled with for so many years was um, negative ruminating thoughts, right? Self-hatred. Mm-hmm. I was suicidal. I mean, I thought about suicide all the time in my twenties. When I found the part of me that was so mean to me and hated me, it was like such a beautiful little part when I got to know it. It was this scared little kid. It was scared little Michelle from like when I was three or four, like it was tiny. And then I, from my adult self, was able to connect with that beautiful little girl. And guess what? The ruminating thoughts, like done. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not to say they never, ever, ever come back, but it was daily grinding of self-hatred. Now, once in a while, when I hear that part, and it's honestly once in a blue moon, I'll go, oh, she's back. And I close my eyes, tune into this part. Hey, you need my attention? What would you like me to know? I'm sitting here with you. And I get present with these parts, and they they transform. It sounds like one of the really important skills that your model teaches is openness to yeah. ex- what you're experiencing in the moment, openness to exploring yeah. what happened to you with a curious mind in the past, not getting stuck yes. in the future. In other words, it feels to me like that's a skill that that you're 
adult chair teaches. What life looks like in the adult chair. I live with fact and truth in the moment. And when people try that on, and I encourage everyone listening to this, just try for a day, any thought that comes in that's giving you anxiety or stress, ask yourself, is this 100% fact and truth? Not probably, not an assumption, not a whatever. Is it 100% fact and truth right now? Is this 100% going to happen? You don't know because it's the future. You got to stay in the moment. Well, no, it hasn't happened yet. Well, is it going to happen? Well, probably no. What's happening right now? That alone can change your life. So we love your podcast, The Adult Chair. And one of your recent episodes was about gaslighting, which is something Mm. our community members deal with all the time. It's something that we sometimes post about on Facebook and it gets a lot of reaction because so many people experience it. So can you explain just what gaslighting is And what to do if you're being gaslit. So my my husband learned this term, but he has no idea what it means. So sometimes he'll be like, oh, you said you do the dishes. You're gaslighting me. You're like, no, "No, no, that's not what it is. That's not what it is. is. (laughs) (laughs) Like he has no idea what any of these terms mean. But here's something from our podcast and tries to use it. That's hysterical. Gaslighting is something that, mostly a narcissist will will use, and it is a way to make you doubt your reality and make you feel crazy. When you feel confused by what someone is saying to you, that is an indicator you might be being gaslit. When it happens repeatedly, like if it happens once, you're like, okay, wait, I'm confused. What? Let me give you an example. Let's just pretend like I want to go back to college. You know, my kids are leaving the nest. I'm going to go back and become a nurse. I'd like to go to a nursing school. And your husband says to you, you're so old. I don't think you'd make it through nursing school. And you know, I love you, babe, but I just don't think that you going through nursing school, I don't think that you'd make it because you know, you're not the same woman that, that, that you, that you were 30 years ago or 25 years ago. You know, you're going to be going through so competitive, you know? So this person that you think loves you, is saying these things to you and you're like, wait, they love me. So should I believe them and buy into what they're saying? Or no, like I'm confused. So when you say I'm confused, go ask someone else, like someone like your best friend, mom, dad, whomever you know, has your best interest at heart that really cares for you. It says, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. I want to go back to get my nursing degree. What do you think about it? Do you think it'd be a bad idea? And maybe ask a couple more people and get their response and then say, okay, well, why? I wonder why my husband said that. So, but if you feel confused because that you think that they love you, but they're saying something twisted, that could be a sign of gaslighting. And also that whole idea of trying to make it sound like it's for your benefit. Yep. And Which then is why it's it, confusing. One of the phrases that uh, to me is a hallmark of a gaslighter is I just, I'm just thinking of your best interest because it, that there's dissonance between those words and what's actually being said. And that's where the confusion comes in is like, wait a minute, you're telling me that you love me and you have my best interest at heart, but what you're saying is hurtful and could even be feel abusive. Totally. Like, I, you know, I, I love you so much and I've got your best interest at heart. And, and, you know, I'm just worried about you. I don't want you to make a fool out of yourself. I know you can't see this. I can see this. Right. Right. There's also that going back to that person and there's denial. Oh, no, no. I didn't say that you weren't smart enough. Yeah. I said that. Why would you want to 
blah, blah, blah. You know, so that you heard something. And then when you go back for a check-in or for a confrontation, possibly, you know, to, to counter them, the gaslighter will often say, no, 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 you misunderstood what I said. Right, right. Everything yes. goes back to you somehow. And that's also confusing. When it's like someone's constantly saying to you, you misunderstood me, or I never said that. That's yes. You made up. That's your own thing that you made up. Maggie, you nailed it because they'll say, yeah. I did not say that. And you're like, I swear that you said that. Yes, you did. I did not. That's not how I said it. You are misinterpreting me. What I said was, and they'll change it. Yes. And then again, you go, wait, am I losing my mind? Am I going crazy? Yes. I feel like my sanity is challenged right now because I swear I heard you say that correctly. And then the crazy thing is, is then the gaslighter typically will get us to apologize to them. Like, oh, well, I guess I am sorry. I think I misheard. Well, thank you for apologizing because the way you're making me sound is that I'm this terrible person. And it's like, or like I'm overly sensitive, you know, like I'm I'm so overly sensitive to things. And it whittles away at our self-esteem, our self-worth, our identity. We start doubting who we are. So what do you do if you think you're being gaslit? You definitely don't say something to the gaslighter because they'll deny it and make you feel crazier. Well, the first thing that I recommend is to go find someone, go find other people, not just one, three other people and run your scenario by them and say, this is what my husband said, or this is what my mother said, whoever it is. Can you tell me if that's true or not? Okay. No, that's not true. Okay. So you start building evidence that, gosh, maybe it's not me. Maybe I am being gaslit right? So that's the first thing you really want to start getting clear. Okay. So this isn't me. This is them. This is how they talk to me. Then you stop paying attention to what they're saying. You stop taking their opinion and bringing it to yourself. You just go, you listen and you let it go. Listen and let it go. Don't let it land on you. What they're saying. You start going to other people, go find a therapist, go find a coach, go find somebody that can give you a reality check. And then you want to do some work to start building yourself up. You want to do work around your self-worth. I've worked with women. It's, it's, oh, they've, they've been with a gaslighter for so long. They literally, their identities, they're so code codependent. They're stripped away. They don't know who they are anymore. So we work on, what do you like? I'd I'd ask like a simple question to my clients. Like, so where do you like to go eat? I don't know wherever my husband wants to go. I don't know wherever my kids want to go. Close your eyes. Think back to when you were a child. What did you like? I loved pizza or I loved eating Chinese food with my family. Okay. And I write it down and I start writing down. Well, I used to like to garden. Okay. We're going to start gardening again. So you start engaging in things, not, not everything all at once, but little by little by little, you start engaging in things that have to do only with you. You're reconstructing, you're reconstructing someone's sense of self because when you, exactly. when you either live with a gaslighter or a gaslighter is a big part of your life, yep. it's, it's really hard to just say, oh, I'm going to let that, I'm going to let that go. I mean, we're used to that pattern of being, Absolutely. and we've, and we've internalized it. And so it's really that process of reconstructing who you are and what you believe about yourself. Again, in the adult chair, I get to choose. There's, there's a choice. What thoughts am I going to choose to believe? you start picking your thoughts consciously. We only can do that in our adult, our healthy adult self. I'm not going to choose to believe what so-and-so said about me here. 
but this one feels better. I'm going to choose that. And we literally start picking our thoughts and we learn how to witness thought. We start paying attention to that didn't feel good. I'm going to let that fly by me, but that did. I'm going to let that one land. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that I was talking to someone who had been in a marriage where she was really gaslit and her husband had really convinced her, you won't make it without me. I mean, she was the entire breadwinner. She did everything in the house. She took care of the kids. Like he really did very little, but he convinced her for a long time, like you won't make it without me. And, you know, she really had to go through a process. Part of the gaslighting is he had like sort of pushed away the other people she was close to. You know, they want to just get you all to themselves and mold you into who they want. And then they push away everyone else. And it's so sad because the person that's getting gaslit has no idea, but they'll say things like, can't believe how your mother talked to you. I mean, why exactly. Exactly. Spend so much time with your mother when she treats you like that, she is putting you down all the time. And it's like, she is, (laughs) I must've missed that. What really? Yeah. Pay attention. I mean, your mother, Oh, Hey, how she talks to you. You need to spend less time with her. So then we spend less time with the mother. Then we spend less time with friends. Then we spend less time. And all of a sudden we're so isolated. We have nobody. And we think, how did this happen? So see that anxiety sisters, we got you some free therapy today. (laughs) (laughs) She fell into Michelle, fell into our evil trap and gave you free gaslighting therapy. Thank you, Michelle. That's really, that was really helpful. Our first introduction to your work, believe it or not, was through the app, the Insight Timer. Ah, yes. That is how I first heard of you because I love love those meditations. You are, I mean, you know, Mags and I write meditations all the time for our support groups and for our our courses and that kind of stuff. But, you know, you happen to be particularly excellent at at those meditations. How do you do that? How do you, you've written so many of them. And and by the way, it's worth being on the Insight Timer app just to hear Michelle's meditations. I think you have some on your website too, right? Yeah, they're all over the website. They're on Insight Timer. They're on YouTube. There's this one, I honestly, my clients have inspired me over the years. So I remember for many years, you know, I'd work, I love working with people on self-love, like teaching people how to love themselves again. It's it's what I went through, honestly, mm-hmm. building self-worth, building self-love, building boundaries. So I've done meditations on all of them, client inspired, or as I, as this business grew and the podcast grew, people would write in and say, can you do one on this? Yes, sure. We're going to link to some of uh, Michelle's meditations on in the show notes. So you can just click awesome. and be right there. Thank you. What's something that you do? It doesn't have to be every day, but what's something you do that really helps you keep your sort of self-focused and your anxiety at bay, even if it's just something you do either daily or once in a while? Like what's some of the stuff that you find most helpful? So something that I do every single day without fail is I, before I even get out of bed, Well, I take my knees and I pull them to my chest to stretch my lower back out. And then I put my knees up and I actually, it's funny, Abby, I go to insight timer and I have many timers in there, but I have a three minute timer and I do the belly breath every morning to set my nervous system up for success for the day. And then I I climb out of bed and I get on the floor and then I do some yoga stretching, like without fail. I do cat cow. I do a few downward dogs because it's so important that we have our body regulated. It's so important that we have our body in balance to start. If you jump out of bed, like, Oh God, I got to get to work. I'm running later. No, then you got to get up 10 minutes early to regulate yourself for the day and get set the, I call it setting the tone for the day. Michelle, 
I'm, yes, 54, I'm 54 years old. There's no more bounding out of bed because, <laughs> because I mean, I, I sit up for a second just to make sure that my blood pressure evens out so I don't end up on the floor without me wanting to be on the floor. And I always tell people, you know, I mean, I don't feel old or anything like that, but I definitely notice a difference between being in my yes, mid 30s, right? And yeah, one thing totally. I is that is that depending on how I sleep at night and which cat ends up where on my body yes. will determine which body parts are fully functional first thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know, a downward dog, I don't know if I could do that first thing, but certainly yes. the, the knees to the chest and the belly breath, absolutely. It's a probably like a five minute little routine I do in the morning. Yeah. Change my life. And then throughout the day, I do one minute micro meditations, or I call it transitioning. So like right now, so when I'm done with you guys, I will sit right here, turn everything off, close my eyes. I hit insight timer for one minute again, and I do some deep breathing for one minute. So I'm transitioning from one experience to the next. Good. That's so good because I have to say, I have trouble. That is like the spot in my life I have most trouble with is transitioning from one thing to the next. It's kind of like, I don't, I usually eat after I finish yeah. because I, it's like, I, it's like, I don't know how to transition. So that's yeah. such a great idea. I just yeah. learned something new. It's like you're hitting reset on your whole system yeah. because I'm doing this. I'm in this mode and then I got to hit reset. It's like, okay. Boop, and it's a minute. Yes. And it's so funny because the ego part of me and my adolescent chair goes, you don't have a minute. I'm like, oh, we have a minute. And I have to override <laughs> it with my adult chair. I'm like, I'm going to get my adult. We're doing a damn minute. Let's go. Right. It builds my day with built in moments of presence and grounding throughout the whole entire day. So I have less anxiety. I have more presence. Like I'm more productive when we slow down. It sounds ironic, but we get so much more done. I'm clear headed. I'm in more of the flow state. Let's say that one more time. Cause that's a really important takeaway here. When we slow down, we get more done. And right. as they say, like, if you say you don't have time to do like a one minute or a three minute meditation, you should probably be doing 20 minutes because <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, come on, you need to do more than that is what helps me more than anything. I, I sit a lot for what I do. You know, I'm a, I'm a writer, so I'm a speaker. I'm, I'm either writing at my desk for eight hours a day or I'm standing not good on the body. I'm also in my fifties too. How old are you? I think I'm your age. 54. Yeah, me too. So you got to get up and stretch. It's just not good for us to sit all day at our laptops anymore. You know, it's just Agatha and I do that too. We're both on the computer all day long between day. coaching and, you know, writing material for workshops or our book or whatever it is we're doing. We're sitting a lot. So I have actually taken to walking for six minutes every hour. <gasps> I set a timer on my computer. And when it dings, no matter where I am, I get up and I will walk around my house for six minutes. See, that's, but I like it again. You're setting the timer. Mm -hmm. You know, it adds up. up. I got to tell you at the end of the day, I have two miles in my house. Get out. That's awesome. I love that. It's true. I love that. So tell our listeners where they can find you and how they can learn more about the adult chair. And we're going to, of course, put all this in the show notes, but tell them anyway. Yeah. Just head on over to the adult chair. Of course, I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook as well. And I wanted to offer your, your listeners something really beautiful for the month of April. So in our membership, I'm doing the whole month emotional regulation. Ah, so. (laughs) Right? Emotion. Who does not need that? So I would like to gift this 
to all of your listeners for free. Wow. That's incredible because I know there's always a fee for, for these monthly things. Yeah. Oh yeah. And they get, this is what we do in the whole month. You get a live teaching. I teach, I, I do a live teaching. Uh, I will do it on emotional regulation. We do uh, weekly discovery work. So you get every week journaling prompts, mindfulness activities from me on how to keep really learning how to regulate emotion. You get a meditation. And of course, you get the Facebook group and all of that. But it's really such a beautiful group. You also get mini coach. If you can sign up in time, they go very quickly. We, we're doing mini coaching sessions. So you get a 30-minute mini coaching session with myself or with one of our coaches. And um, there's a live Q&A, a 90-minute Q&A. You can ask any question you want. That's oh, and that great. begins April 1st. And how do our listeners get that? Yeah, that's at theadultchair.com forward slash membership. And for the promotional code, it's anxiety22. Anxiety22. We will make sure to put this in our show notes for everybody, but do not miss this opportunity to learn more about the adult chair, to work with Michelle herself, to ask questions. This is, she's offering a gold mine. I'm taking it. I'm doing it. Good. Thank you. <laughs> I need some more. I'd love to have you. I'd love to have you all. Of course, the adult chair podcast is like I said, it's on Apple. It's it's everywhere. Apple, Google, Spotify. I don't even overcast. We're the, all the, very, the very best episode you ever did was with this, these girls called the anxiety sisters. It was fantastic. Yeah, that was one of my favorite for sure. <laughs> such such wisdom, was, such wisdom. Such, I it was one of the best ever for sure. No doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, thank you so much for taking time out of your super busy schedule. I know you have to jump because you're doing a training today and you look so pretty. It's a shame that everyone can't see you, but you're all dressed thank up you. you're doing a, a workshop today and you're running a training for adult chair coaches in the next few weeks, right? You're, you're very, very busy. So yes. thank you again, Michelle Chalfont, for joining us uh, on the spin cycle. And we can't wait to see you in person. I can't wait to see you guys in person. Thank you for having me. Okay, so our big announcement is, in case you don't know, the Anxiety Sister Survival Guide is on sale wherever you buy books. So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent bookstores, Target, Walmart, Hudson Books, you name it. If you've bought our book, if you wouldn't mind taking a few minutes out of your schedule to leave us a review, that would be great. Especially uh, if you like it, if you... Yeah, if you don't, if you didn't like the book, you... you <laughs> yeah, don't leave thanks, us a review. No thanks. <laughs> You'll like it. You'll like it. <laughs> At least the pictures. You'll love the pictures. If you're interested in joining a session of our coping crew, which is our private support group, um, which is $99 for a six-week, once-a-week group and a, and a totally private Facebook group. And it's the most lovely woman, smart, wonderful, caring. If you're interested in that, send us an email to anxietysisters at gmail.com or PM us on Facebook. And we can tell you when the next session is starting and all the other information you need to know. Anything else we need to announce? Yeah. Where can they find us? They can find us on Facebook or on Instagram, on our website at www.anxietysisters.com. And please, if you have any feedback for us, especially compliments, but also questions um, or ideas for a podcast, please email us. And if you enjoy our podcast, we would so, so, so appreciate if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, anxiety, anxiety sisters, don't go, go it alone. alone. That wasn't right. bad. Stereo.
It wasn't bad. <laughs> You've been listening to The Spin Cycle, an Anxiety Sisters production. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.